Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Oh my goodness, just some of the lyrics in that song. You, you know me at my worst and you still call me friend. Uh, I don't know if it's because I was staring into the sun or if because I got sunscreen in my eyes, but my eyes were sweating when I was singing those lyrics, just remembering God's goodness and grace and his mercy to me. But I'm also reminded that in order for there to be a resurrection, there must first be a death. And I wonder, as the early followers of Jesus were walking away from the crucifixion, thinking that his body was going to stay in the grave, what do you talk about when you walk away from a crucifixion? You don't talk about the weather, I guarantee you that. I've never walked away from a crucifixion, but I have driven away after experiencing a really painful death. See, as a college student, I was a backpacking guide with Young Life. And so when I became a a youth pastor, I took my students out on the trail. And it was day seven of a seven-day trip where one of the students in our ministry collapsed on the trail. My brother and I did CPR for an hour and 45 minutes. We heard flight for life circling around, no place to land. And the coroner on the trail pronounced him dead. A few hours later. I was gutted. I mean, to say the least, I had so many questions, so much turmoil in my soul. So many uh, questions I wanted to ask God, like, God, where were you? And God, why in the world did you allow that to happen? I mean, it, it shook me to my very core, not just for the next few days or weeks, but for the next few years, just wrestling like I never had before. See, I know the feeling of things not going the way that you thought they would. How about you? How about you? Yeah, I think it's hard to understand the depths of disappointment Jesus' followers felt after he was crucified. But it was on that walk away from Jerusalem, some pilgrims who'd been there to celebrate the Passover feast, they were walking back to Emmaus and the resurrected Jesus appeared to them on that road. They didn't recognize him, but he asked them, what are you talking about? And in the course of the conversation, here's what they said in Luke chapter 24, verse 21. They said, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. We had, past tense, hoped. But we don't anymore. Now we're just going back to our normal lives. He's dead and our hope has died with him. You know, I've heard hope defined as the anticipation or expectation of future good. And these pilgrims on that road leading toward Emmaus, they would testify to something that you and I know to be true. And that is that hope is slippery, isn't it? I mean, trying to find hope sometimes can feel like walking up to a barrel of water and putting your hand in it and trying to grab a fistful and just seeing it run from your hands. We had hoped. We feel that in our bones, don't we? I mean, we had hoped that the worship center would be done and that we would be celebrating Easter inside. Can I get an amen? 
We had hoped. We had hoped social distancing was just two weeks to flatten the curve. We had hoped. We had hoped that we'd find a job after graduation. We had hoped that I do would last forever. We had hoped that the business would survive. We had hoped that the baby would be born healthy. We had hoped that God would heal. We had hoped. I think in so many ways we can relate to these pilgrims on the road to Emmaus. And we all know that unmet hope stings, doesn't it? It's the reason that the author of Proverbs wrote in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. He said, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. It just causes an inner turmoil, doesn't it? When you hope for something and it doesn't come to pass. And maybe, just maybe, Friedrich Nietzsche was right when he wrote about hope and he said, in truth, hope is the most evil of evils because it prolongs a man's torment. He says hope is torment. Hope is, hope is evil. I mean, that's a fairly bleak diagnosis of the human condition, is it not? But I would argue it is the best that atheism has to offer. See, if you believe that we are simply a coincidental collision of atoms, that our existence is happenstance at best, then there really is no reason for hope. Let it go. It's killing you. The best you have to hope for is karma or fate. And yet, and yet, someone wrote a number of years ago, man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. So here's my question this morning. Which is it? Uh, is, is hope torment? Or is hope essential? See, I think all of us, if we pause long enough to think about that question, we know that we were created and that we were designed to be hope-filled beings. Human beings are attracted to hope like moths are attracted to light. We need hope in our soul like our oxygen, like our lungs need oxygen. We were designed to be people who live in hope because we were designed to be people who experience and live in the goodness of God. So here's the truth of the matter, friends. I know that in a, a courtyard that parking lot this big, that there are some of you who walk in and you feel like hope has just slipped through your hands. And I know that to hope again can feel like a risk. I mean, it can feel like opening your heart again to be wounded again or to be let down again, but I've got a challenge for you this Easter morning. I want to challenge you. I want to dare you to hope again. And that's the essence of our time together. My message, you could summarize my message in three words. Here they are. Hope is here. Hope is here, and I want to share with you why? If you have your Bible, will you open with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter was one of Jesus' good friends, and he's writing roughly 30 years after the cross and resurrection, and he's looking back on that foundational, world-changing, eternity-altering event. 
And listen to what he said, starting in verse three. He said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So catch this. Here's what Peter says. Regardless of what's going on in your life and the darkness and the pain that you have walked through, there is a never-ending headwater fountainhead of hope that you and I can draw from every moment of every day of our life. And here's what Peter says that hope is and where it's found. He says, all we have to do is look back to the cross of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And we can be people who are filled with hope. We can have confidence in future good because Jesus walked out of the grave. And the beautiful thing about this, friends, is that Peter wasn't basing his hope on a story that he heard or something that he'd been passed down to secondhand. No, no, no. Peter was a first-hand witness to the resurrected Christ. And 30 years later, he's still going, this is where my hope is found. It is found in the resurrection of the one who gave his life for me. See, early followers of Jesus were so transformed by the resurrection that they wrote this. The apostle Paul to the church in Corinth said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But he would say that the opposite of that is true also. That if Christ has been raised, if he did die on the cross and walk out of the grave, oh, then we are people who can find hope in the bleakest of circumstances. Friends, the resurrection was the guts of Christianity. The resurrection was the foundation of the church. The resurrection was the event that the early church looked back to to find hope life and to find hope. And I would invite you to write this down this morning if you want to follow along in your note sheet that you got in the worship folder. I want to invite you to write this down, that hope is alive because Jesus lives. Hope is alive because Jesus lives. And Peter's going to go on and In this passage of scripture, he's going to nuance out for us why we can be people who go to the fountainhead of the resurrection to find hope, even right now, today. Go back to verse three with me and look at what he said. He wrote, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great, anybody following along? What's the next word? Mercy. So the first thing that Peter wants to do is he wants us to to lift our eyes to see the character of God. And he says, God is merciful. You might translate that word as covenantal, as loving. Uh, You might have the idea in your mind that even when we fail God, he will be faithful to us. That's what mercy means. Mercy has been described as not getting what we rightfully deserve. And the scriptures say, here's the bad news, the scriptures say that you and I that are all sinners and that the wages of sin is what? Is death, is death. 
But God, in his mercy, took the wages of sin, which is death, upon his shoulders. He bore our sin in his body on the cross. He was buried in the grave, and he walked out with new life in his hands. If you believe it, say amen. See, the resurrection is God's declaration that the check has cleared the funds were sufficient, and that we are completely forgiven. And this was a mercy that Peter knew firsthand. I mean, you may remember Peter, one of Jesus's earliest followers. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, in the moment of his deepest need, Peter said on three different occasions, I I don't even know him. I don't know him. After that, the scriptures say in Mark chapter 14, verse 72, that he went out and he wept bitterly, that he was just broken. It was so heavy for him that when the angels appear to the women on that first Easter morning at the tomb, they say to those women in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because Peter didn't consider himself a disciple anymore. No, Peter was telling himself the story that we often tell ourselves, and that is that our failure defines us. I could never be a follower of Jesus because of all of these things that I've done. And for Peter, he allowed his failure on the night that Jesus was betrayed to redefine his identity. But Jesus comes to him in grace. He comes to him in mercy. He restores him, he recommissions him, he's reborn. And resurrection gives us hope because, would you write this down? It declares to us that forgiveness has overcome our failure. Forgiveness has overcome our failure. Friends, God is quick to forgive. He's abounding in mercy and steadfast love, but we have to be honest about our need for him. I love the way that author Brendan Manning put it when he said this, when we acknowledge that we are paupers at the door of God's mercy, then God can make something beautiful out of us. And that's the invitation for all of us this morning. It's not to play games, it's not to pretend, and it's not to earn anything. It's just simply to throw ourselves on what Peter describes as God's great mercy, his great mercy, It's so great that his mercy is more. His mercy is more than our failure. His mercy is more than our pain. His mercy is more than our sorrow. His mercy is more than our regrets. His mercy is more than the death that awaits us. Friends, his mercy is more. His mercy is so much more that Peter says it has caused him to be born again. Oh, and and I love this. I love this because what Peter's pointing out is that the hope of the gospel is not that God makes bad people good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not about your self-improvement. The gospel is not that God makes bad people good. The gospel, come on friends, is that God makes dead people alive. That's the hope of the gospel. And Peter says, oh, it happens through God's great mercy because his forgiveness overcomes our failure. But then he goes on and he wants to give us another reason that we can live with hope. Verse four, 
He says, and we've been born again into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now, let's stop there. I just want to pause and acknowledge and appreciate that the scriptures never pretend that we live in a world other than the one that we actually live in. Like the, the, the message that Peter's giving is not, hey, because Jesus died on the cross and walked out of the grave, life is going to be really, really easy all the time. That is not the message. He says, no, no, no. We have been grieved with various trials. And for the first readers of this letter that Peter's writing, that would have meant that they were suffering under the brutal and bloody reign of Nero as the emperor of Rome. And he had it out for Christians and he was going for blood. And he writes to those Christians and says, even in the midst of all of that, we can be people who rejoice in spite of all of our pain. And I think it was Pastor Rick Warren who captured it so poignantly when he was asked shortly, about a year after his son had taken his life. He was asked, Pastor Rick, how are you continuing to keep going? How do you still have joy in the midst of all that's gone on in your life? And he responded with one word. He said, Easter, Easter. That's the reason for my joy in the midst of all that I have walked through. See, friends, resurrection gives us hope because we have forgiveness that overcomes our failure, but we also have, and I'd invite you to write this down, joy that overwhelms our suffering. Joy that overwhelms our suffering because Jesus walked out of the grave. We can hold on to him in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our grief. And please note, biblical hope is not a call to bury our head in the sand and pretend the pain of life away. No, 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 no. That's not it. No, hope means that we look towards the future and we pull the promised good of the future into the present. Hope is about pulling the promise into the present. In fact, would you say pull the promise with me. Pull the promise. That's what hope is. I mean, let's imagine that it's a few years down the road and that we figured out a way to clone you many, many years down the road, okay? And you and your clone are both hired to work at, in, a, in a factory on an assembly line. And your job is to put a, whatchamacallit, in a thingamajigger. And you just do it all day, every day, whatchamacallit, anything in a jigger, just boring, boring work. And someone takes you aside and says, at the end of this year, we are gonna pay you $1 million for your work. And then they take your clone aside and they tell your clone, at the end of this year, we're gonna pay you $30,000 for all your work. Now, do those two people have different experiences in that factory? Yes, yes, because every day, the person, you, 
who are putting the whatchamacallit in the thingamajig are going, at the end of this, there is a great reward. There is beauty. There is goodness waiting for me. And when the scriptures write about biblical hope, that's what they're writing about, pulling the promise of what God said he will do in the future into the present right now. See, friends, hope is not the same thing as optimism. Optimism is wishful thinking, but hope is conviction about a promise. Optimism is a mind game, but hope is a guarantee. Optimism is ultimately a fantasy, but hope is grounded in an unseen reality. Peter is not calling us to be optimists. He's calling us to be people who are hopeful and hope-filled because Jesus walked out of the grave. There is a good promise awaiting you and me. And he goes on to sort of tease this out because I think he assumes that people like us who walk through, quote, various trials might have a hard time holding on to hope. And here's what he says. He says that we've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Here is Peter's point. He's saying that you can continue to have joy in the midst of suffering because one of the things suffering does is it excavates and unearths the faith that you hold in your heart. It not only brings it to the surface, but it gives you a platform on which to strengthen your faith. And Peter says that faith is the most important thing about you. Your trust in Jesus is the most important thing that you have. So let me ask you a question. If trials bring faith to the surface of our life, what has this last year taught you about your faith? What has this past year taught you about your faith? What have you seen come to the surface? Have you seen, have you seen anger Have you seen disappointment? Have you seen faith? Have you seen hope come to the surface? See, that's what Peter wants you to see. Oh, it's bringing it all to light. And he goes, you can rejoice in that because one day, one day, that faith will be sight. And he goes on and he gives us a second reason. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Speaking of Jesus. And though you do not see him now, You believe in him and you rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I mean, don't you love that Peter writes to people just like you and me? People who haven't seen Jesus firsthand, didn't have the chance to touch his scars, to put her hand on his side. And he affirms them and he says, keep going. You continue to love him, continue to pour out your heart to him, continue to trust that he's for you, even in the deepest and darkest valleys that you walk through. I mean, after all, friends, we know the scriptures teach us that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. That means that God is for you even when you are at your worst. It means that regardless of what you walk through and regardless of what pain you encounter in this life, you may struggle with your circumstances, but you never have to doubt God's love. 
You just look to the cross and you look to the empty tomb and you know that he is for you and that he loves you. And Peter says, that fills us with an inexpressible joy. And then he makes one final point and he says this. He says that we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now that first word, obtaining, um, I'm not sure I love that translation. I think the NIV and King James get it a little bit better when they translate that same Greek word, receiving. See, because obtaining means that sometimes that we've, we've earned something or we've done something to deserve it. That, that's not at all what Peter's saying. Receiving is a perfect picture that we just simply put out our hands, that we just simply open our heart and we say back to Jesus, Jesus, I receive all that you want to pour out. And what Peter says is that posture of receiving is salvation, which means healing, which means restoration, which means renewal. It means eternity with Jesus And so here's the third thing Peter said. Remember, the first thing is that we can have hope because our failure is forgiven. We can have hope because joy overrides suffering. And we can have hope because life overpowers death. Life overpowers death. See, early followers of Jesus didn't just believe that Jesus walked out of the grave that first Easter morning. No, they believed that they would one day too walk out of the grave. They described Jesus as the, as the first fruits, as the, as the pioneer or as the, as the prototype. Elon Musk would be jealous, right? I mean, they, he's the prototype of what they would one day be. They, they're saying the same journey Jesus walked out of the grave, we will one day walk to. Bodily resurrection is the hope of the early church and it is our hope today still. Early followers of Jesus would ask to be buried face towards Jerusalem with one word written on their tombstone. And the word was resurgum. And it means, I shall rise. I shall rise. As if to say, death is a reality, but it is not a finality. Death is not the end. It is just simply a new beginning. Resurrection is God's promise that we pull into the present and it gives us hope. God's promise that life is stronger than death, that salvation is stronger than sin, that renewal is greater than decay. And resurrection means, friends, that you and I don't have to fear anything. In fact, resurrected Jesus says, fear not. I was dead and now I'm alive and I am the one who holds the keys to death and to Hades. We don't have to fear anything, not pandemics, not cancer, not death, nothing. If Jesus rose from the grave, friends, it changes everything. Hope is here. Hope is here. And Peter says that hope and that salvation is incorruptible. It's not gonna fade like everything else you see. He says that it's undefiled, meaning that it's absolutely pure because Jesus took all of our sin, bore it on the cross, and he gave us all of his righteousness. I mean, that's the great exchange. 
our sin for his righteousness. And then finally he says, this hope is unfading. It's unfading. Like the flowers that bloom in the spring and we get to enjoy them for a few days or a few weeks, but then they, they wither and they wilt. He says, your salvation never will. As the great iconic hymn, Amazing Grace says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we, what? First begun. Friends, hope is here because Jesus is alive. Sin is paid for, the tomb is empty, and the invitation this morning that's in front of us is will you come to Jesus to find hope, to find hope. As I was preparing for our time, there's really three groups of people that I have in mind, and you might find yourself in one of these groups. The first group of people are, are those who've had just a really, really difficult year where hope has been slippery and you feel like you walked into this space today and, and hope is just slipping through your hands or it has over the last year. Maybe this was a year where you said goodbye to some loved ones and there's an empty seat around the table this Easter. I want to invite you to grieve, but I also want to invite you to grieve as Paul calls the church at Thessalonica to grieve as people who have hope. Your friends, your family members that have died in the Lord, that death is not a finality. It's a reality, but it's not a finality. You will see them again one day. This is a comma in the story. It's not the end of the story. Second group of people I have in mind are those and you're here today and you've wandered away from the Lord. And I don't know what brought you back here. I don't know if a, a friend told you they guaranteed you a seat in the shade and now you find yourself in the sun. I'm not sure how you found yourself here today. But at one point in your life, you made a profession of faith and you haven't been living for or with Jesus and you find yourself here today. I believe that God has sent me as a messenger to you to say that Jesus is inviting you to come home, to, to run to him. His arms are wide open. And here's the beautiful thing about it. He doesn't need the story. He doesn't need all the excuses. He doesn't need the, well, this is what I was thinking and this is, and I got caught up in that. No, no, no. He just wants you. He just wants you. And so will you run into his loving arms today? And then finally, finally, there are some here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You've never trusted him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Here's the reality, friends. We will all one day die and we will appear before the throne of God to give a testimony of our life. And our testimony will either be that our sin was paid for by Jesus or that we pay for our sin. That's our testimony. And so the invitation to you today is that while death is a reality, it does not have to be your finality, that Jesus through faith in him gets the final word and that life overcomes death. And because of that, we can live and die with hope. And he's calling some of you for the very first time to put your faith in him today. You know, there's a lot of stories of people that have been 
saved around here lately. And, and one of them I just want you to hear, it's a story of a young woman who started coming to our, our Sunday night services and our En Espanol services, and she became a part of the well, our college ministry. And she went on a retreat with the well earlier last year, and they were talking about the Sabbath rest of God. And she came and was, had grown up in a legalistic family, and she said, well, there's got to be something that I've got to do. There's got to be something that I have to do to earn it. And our college pastor told her, no, 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 you just have to receive his love. You just got to open your heart, heart, heart and open your hands to receive from him. And she said back to him through tears, she said, it just seems too good to be true, but I believe it and I receive it. Because hope is here, friends. And today might be your day. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to Martha. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha the same question he wants to ask you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because that belief changes everything. See, God has taken every single step to come to you, every single step except one. That last step is yours, and it's called faith. And I want to invite you to run to Jesus today. See, because when you walk away from a crucifixion, your anthem is, we had hoped. But when you walk away from a resurrection, your anthem is, we have hope. We have hope. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Let's pray. And I want to invite those of you who are in that second group, those who have said, I've just, you've wandered away from the Lord. You put your faith in him at one point in time, but today Jesus is inviting you home. And those in that third group who for the very first time you're gonna, you want to put your faith in Jesus today. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to invite you, if that's you, if you're in one of those two groups, will you just sort of slip your hand up and let me know? I want to pray with and for you in just a moment. Make eye contact with me so that I see you. Make eye contact with me so that I see you. See you. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. If you're putting your faith in Jesus for the very first time, you can pray something like this. Oh, Lord, thank you for loving me, even in my sin. And today, God, I repent from this sin, and I turn and I run to you. I receive you as Lord of my life, as Savior, as the giver of life. And I'm asking, would you forgive me of all my sin. Would you come and live inside me and allow me to live both with and for you? I love you and I receive you as my Lord and Savior today. And if you're coming home today, maybe you've wandered off, you might simply pray something like this, Lord, thank you for pursuing me even when I ran from you. God, thank you for loving me and bringing me home. 
I long to continue to live in your presence and to become your disciple. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much that we are people who can be filled with hope because you are alive. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.